Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. COVID clampdown... Hong Kong announces tough new rules, including flight bans. Macron's mandate. French president says he wants to make life tough for the unvaccinated. And supercharging CES. Electric vehicles take center stage in Las Vegas. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. And a warm welcome to First Move. Let's begin with a look at the global markets. U.S. stocks look set for a flat to modestly lower open this Wednesday. The blue chips are hovering near record highs, though. But tech is set to pull back for a second straight session. The Nasdaq fell more than one and a quarter percent yesterday, pressured by rising bond yields. Europe, meantime, continues its January jump, with the major averages rising for a third straight session as investors look past Omicron's threat. Asia, however, finishing mostly lower. The Hang Seng tumbling more than one and a half percent amid new fears over tech crackdowns in China and news of fresh travel restrictions in Hong Kong. The global response to the Omicron variant continues to top our drivers today. China imposed new lockdowns in two cities this week, just as a social media outcry by Xi'an residents tests Beijing's zero covid strategy. Christy Lou Stout joins us now. So, Christy, I, I have read the stories on, from social media about, you know, what these residents are going through from medical issues to not getting enough food. And we've still got a month to go till the Olympics is expected to happen in Beijing. And we've got these renewed lockdowns. Are these restrictions expected to get even worse as the next 30 days go on? Well, the restrictions are pretty bad, especially in the northern Chinese city of Xi'an. Look, Ellison, it's incredible. Two years into this pandemic and the scenes that we're seeing play out of this really harsh lockdown in Xi'an are reminiscent of the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic in Wuhan. Since December the 23rd, in this major metropolis, 13 million people have been under a strict lockdown after only a handful of COVID-19 cases were detected. No eye contact from this anti-pandemic worker as a woman under lockdown pleads for a basic essential and her dignity. Through tears, she says, my period came yesterday. I called the hotline, the police, CDC, but no one responded. CNN can't confirm the authenticity of the video. Residents in the Chinese city of Xi'an, which has seen the largest community outbreak of COVID-19 since Wuhan, say they continue to struggle to get basic supplies and food. The municipal government concedes that there are some problems and said it's working on improving the situation. 
since December the 23rd, this city of 13 million has been under strict lockdown. Residents are forbidden from leaving their homes unless it's for a COVID test. There has been public shaming of people accused of breaching COVID-19 safety laws, and a man was beaten by government COVID prevention workers for breaching lockdown. The workers were later punished after this footage emerged online. In Xi'an, there are instances of people being turned away from hospital because of COVID protocols. In a disturbing video, a pregnant woman was allegedly turned away because she didn't have a valid COVID-19 test. And according to the post from a Weibo user who claims to be her niece, the woman is seen sitting outside the hospital with a pool of blood around her feet. Hours later, she was finally admitted but ultimately suffered a miscarriage. A staff member from Xi'an Gaoxin Hospital told CNN they were investigating the incident and that the hospital had initially turned away the woman in accordance with the government's COVID-19 rules. Officials have vowed to achieve community zero COVID before lifting the lockdown. In many ways, China's zero COVID policy has been a huge success. It has curbed local outbreaks and saved lives with mass testing and tracing, snap lockdowns and travel restrictions. But in Xi'an, patience has been pushed to the limit. The Eurasia Group placed China's zero COVID policy at the top of its list of global risks for 2022. Anticipating a cycle of infections, lockdowns, disruption and discontent that would rock the global economy. The Winter Games will pose a big test to China's strategy. Experts say people in China are vulnerable because of their lack of exposure to the Omicron variant, the lower efficacy of its homegrown vaccines, and the limits of zero COVID. Even in China, will there ever be any zero COVID? I don't think so. Uh, Actually, to live with um, COVID is actually the direction to go. In Xi'an, the number of new cases is decreasing, but desperation is growing as the lockdown enters a third week. And Allison, citizens in China, they are becoming bolder and expressing their frustration, their desperation, their anger about China's zero COVID strategy. And a number of the posts and videos that have gone viral have been taken down, but the cracks in China's zero COVID policy have been exposed. Back to you. Christy, talk us through about the new restrictions in Hong Kong. That's right. Hong Kong, with its fate tied closely to China, there's a zero COVID policy in place here. And authorities here are afraid of a fifth wave of COVID-19 infections. Some context here on Wednesday, Hong Kong reported 38, just 38 new cases of COVID-19, of which only one was locally transmitted. Now, some new measures that were announced include flight, uh, two-week flight ban from eight countries, including the U.S. and the U.K., and a raft of new social distancing measures, including a ban on dining in services from 6 p.m. Gyms, cinemas, salons, um, party rooms will be closed as well. The measures they kick in on Friday, and they last for about two weeks. Now, I spoke to an epidemiologist about these measures. He says that the concern is because because of these three chains of transmission that are hidden inside the community. This according to Dr. Jin Dongyan of the University of Hong Kong. But he says, given these measures that were announced today, they should be enough to bring any suspected COVID cases or Omicron cases um, down to zero or as close to zero as possible. Back to you, Allison. Okay, Christy Liu Stout, thanks for all of your great reporting.
In Europe, France reports more than 270,000 new COVID cases, setting uh, its highest yet number in a single day. Meantime, President Emmanuel Macron saying he wants to annoy unvaccinated people by tightening restrictions further. Jim Bitterman is live in Paris with the latest. So, Jim, as France grapples with these record COVID cases, Macron seems to be really digging in here, battling the unvaccinated and at the same time using colorful language to catch their attention. Very colorful, Allison. In fact, uh, it was a little bit stronger than annoy. He used the French verb emmerder, which is uh, akin to something like piss off. The unvaccinated, because basically he blames, and a lot of other people here blame the unvaccinated for the rise, meteoric rise in the number of cases. And every single day here, we seem to be facing a new record uh, as the caseload goes up and the hospitals and ICUs get overcrowded. So he's frustrated. He expressed it. His spokesman was asked about his language, his most undiplomatic language uh, in uh, the uh, government's news conference uh, this afternoon. And basically the spokesman said, look, he said, uh, who is screwing up the life in France today? Who is ruining the life of our healthcare workers who for two years were submerged in ICU services to save patients who are today are essentially unvaccinated and basically, again, blaming the unvaccinated for the kind of record numbers that we've been seeing here. Uh, another thing that t- took place today that the government spokesman talked about was, uh, in fact, this uh, new health emergency that has been declared in the French overseas territories, five overseas territories, where the incidence rate is over 1,800 per 100,000 people. In other words, 1,800 people testing positive for, over, uh, for every uh, 100,000 in population. So it's a lot that, so much, in fact, that the government declared this health emergency. So a lot of things happening here that, uh, in fact, are very worrying as far as the government's concerned. What are you what are you seeing elsewhere? Uh, You know, for instance, in the Netherlands, they've been on a strict lockdown since just before Christmas. But the thing is, the cases just seem to keep going up. Well, that's the interesting thing. Some of these things, some of these numbers are difficult to interpret, and especially the uh, Dutch are among those. Uh, The fact is that, as you mentioned, December 19th, they want a strict lockdown. Uh, Only essential services were allowed to stay open. uh, And that's still the case. Uh, but they're going to open up schools next week. Nonetheless, despite this strict lockdown, which in fact has led to a slightly lower uh, number of, of cases coming in each day, despite that lockdown, 30% of the Dutch are now testing positive, 30% more each day testing positive than uh, before. So the question is, why is that? And just that despite a pretty good vaccination record in, in Holland. Elsewhere in Europe, uh, it's uh, kind of a dismal picture wherever you look. I mean, uh, Italy, uh, the, the rise has been something akin to what France has been seeing. Uh, government may be talking about new restrictions there. And Boris Johnson in the UK said, in fact, that uh, there are going to be very challenging times ahead. So I think that could probably be said to uh, most about most governments uh, all across Europe, as we see these case flow, levels rising with Omicron. And here in the United States as well. Jim Bitterman, thanks so much. Some encouraging data now from Israel about new booster shots. A study suggests a fourth dose boosts antibodies against COVID fivefold, meaning a drastic increase in the body's ability to fight infection and severe symptoms. Elliot Gotkin is in Tel Aviv. A new study has found that a fourth dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine increases a person's antibodies fivefold within the space of a week. 
The results, which are preliminary and have yet to be peer-reviewed, were announced by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett at the Sheba Medical Center just outside Tel Aviv, and they would seem to support the country's decision to roll out a second booster to people aged over 60, those with suppressed immune systems, and to healthcare workers. And with new COVID-19 cases rising to a record, Prime Minister Bennett hailed the findings as good news. He said that the fourth dose is safe, the fourth dose works. And his spokesperson says that this increases the likelihood of a second booster being rolled out to the rest of the population, although the ultimate decision lies with the health ministry's director general. Elliot Gotkin, CNN, Tel Aviv. Major announcements in the EV world today. Sony says it will launch a subsidiary for electric vehicles this spring. And Chrysler says it will shift to all electric by 2028. Paula Monica joins us now with the details. Let's start with Sony, Paul. Sony making a big splash at the CES, indicating it is going all in with its announcement of a new electric vehicle unit uh, launching. It's going to launch this spring, and it's also unveiling its latest concept car, a seven-seat SUV. Yeah, Alice, it's going to be very fascinating to see whether or not this Sony mobility unit will really shake up the auto landscape in the same way that Sony did with the video games and uh, you know consoles. Obviously, PlayStation is a major success for the company, but Sony has had not as much success in other areas of consumer electronics and gadgets in the past couple of years. You don't have too many people you know, walking around with uh, Sony music players, for example. So it's going to be interesting to see if Sony is able to pull this off and whether or not they look to do it by themselves or partner with an existing legacy auto manufacturer to produce Sony branded vehicles. It's not yet clear, Allison, whether or not this will get off the ground in the next few years as a Sony product by itself or with a partner. And again, remember, a lot of things that get announced at CES stay in the sort of whiteboard pipe dream phase and never, ever actually make it to market. Yeah, a lot of lofty dreams at CES. It's like the dreamland. I'm just curious, do you think, can you tell right now if Sony is looking to mass produce these kinds of vehicles? Yeah, you would have to think that if Sony wanted to do something like this, they would want to do it at Hmm. scale, given the type of company that they are. But I struggle to think that Sony can make cars in a mass way without partnering with another uh, company, you know, whether, you know, there are obviously lots of Japanese and uh, U.S. uh, auto companies that might be eager to partner with uh, Sony, but I think it's still a lot of details that we don't know about just yet. Okay, Paula Monica, thanks for breaking all of that down for us. And for more on this, we will speak with the CEO of Autonomous Delivery Vehicle Maker, uh, Udelve, in just a few minutes. And these are the stories making headlines around the world. We're expecting a decision soon from a U.S. judge on whether a sex abuse case against Prince Andrew will be allowed to continue. Virginia Giuffre says the prince had sex with her when she was underage. Prince Andrew denies her claims. His lawyers argue that a settlement Giuffre reached with sex offender Jeffrey Epstein exempts the prince from any legal action by her. Kazakhstan's president vows a tough response to protests after they erupted over a spike in fuel prices. Officials say some of the demonstrators have attacked government buildings using stones, sticks and Molotov cocktails. Our Nick Robertson joins us now 
in Moscow. So, uh, Nick, Kazakhstan is actually an exporter of oil and gas. So I would imagine that's adding to the frustration of having the cost of fuel spike. It is. I mean, this is a country that's really crafted a very careful international image. Uh, It's one that's designed an image that's designed to attract, you know, tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of international investment, as you say, a net oil exporter. But what it's been trying to do is wrestle with the issue that a lot of that oil that's used in in, uh, vehicles, uh, LPG, liquid liquid petroleum uh, gas um, is is sold to the population at a less than uh, at, at less than the price that it's commercially produced and the government over the past couple of years has been trying to redress that um, the new system came into effect at the beginning of the year. It led to that massive spike uh, in prices, which led to protests. And the protests do seem to have been incredibly strong to transcend the issue of that of the uh, higher gasoline, uh, higher LPG prices, which the government has now said it'll reduce. It's led the president uh, to say today that, in, really, in the past couple of hours, the situation sounds incredibly volatile. We've had the prime minister, uh, prime minister place. The government resigned. The president take on new powers in terms of national security. He's saying such evocative things as, you know, I will not leave the capital. I will stay here. He's talking about security services who've been in confrontation with the protesters um, actually being wounded, uh, Some, in some cases losing their lives. The government yet hasn't produced evidence of that, but he's saying that the, um, the organization of these protesters seems to be something from the government's perspective, at least, that is more than just the combustion of anger over the spike in LPG prices. He says that this is something that's planned. And the situation is, is far from clear at the moment. Some parts of the uh, biggest city in the country, Almaty, seem to be without out electricity. The internet in the country, for the most part, is completely down. This is a really a developing and evolving situation. In many cases, the confrontations with protesters, but with security forces, the protesters have come out in the dominant position. Yeah, the pictures we're seeing coming out of there are incredible. I know you'll keep following that story and we'll come back to you with any new developments. Nick Robertson in Moscow. Thank you. Still to come on First Move, a spotlight on tomorrow's tech at the Consumer Electronics Show. A Silicon Valley startup says it has the solution to the global shortage of drivers, an autonomous truck called the transporter. And go ahead, skip the checkout line. A new way to pay that allows you to shop without stopping at the cash register. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stocks remain on track for a mostly lower open this Wednesday with tech set for early session weakness. A bit of consolidation here for blue chips, too, after two straight record highs for the Dow. Bank stocks have had a particularly strong start to 2022. Investors, meantime, gearing up for this year's first big U.S. economic report on Friday. That's the December jobs report. New data out today shows private sector employers in the U.S. adding more than 800,000 jobs last month. That's almost double what was expected. The big question, how Omicron-related slowdowns may hurt firms going forward. The Washington Post reports that U.S. lawmakers are considering new fiscal stimulus to help firms impacted by Omicron. Brian Levitt joins me now. He is the global market strategist at Invesco. Great to see you. Thank you. Great to be here. 
So the stock market looks like it's back around market highs, uh, record highs. What do you think the market, though, is missing about the economy? I don't think the market is necessarily missing anything about the economy. I think that it's been moving as you would have suspected through this cycle. We had the big recovery phase last year. Markets did very well in an expansion. More recently, starting to price in a, a bit of a slowdown in the economy as we saw tech stocks become the big outperformers at the latter part of last year. The question is now, is this an economy that's going to continue to lose momentum? Or if if the scientists are right about Omicron, does it start to dissipate over time, we all hope? Does that lead to something of a, of a resurgence in economic activity, which is precisely why bank stocks, energy stocks have done well in the last couple of days? Inflation uh, is certainly on the radar. Curious how long you see inflation sticking around. Well, it's going to stick around for some time. But what's critical for market participants, what's critical for investors is not whether the inflation story is good or bad, but whether it's getting better or worse. And so I'll give a couple of reasons why we believe it'll start to get better. The first is on the supply side. You're starting to see some early hints. Maybe you got to squint a little bit to see them, (laughs) but some early hints that the supply chain challenges are easing. If you look at survey data, um, time for deliveries is coming down a bit. Um, you're seeing freight costs come down a bit, semiconductor prices down a bit, so and, and, and trucking employment up. So all of that is very positive. On the demand side, and I think this is critical, you survey consumers and ask them, is it a good time to buy durable goods? Is it a good time to buy vehicles? They're saying no. And that's not a persistent inflation story. And a persistent inflation story is I need to buy today because prices are going to rise tomorrow. That's not what consumers are telling us. I expect inflation to moderate over time. Again, for investors, better or worse, not good or bad. Okay. now you say, switching to the Fed for a minute, you say that the telltale signs of a recession aren't evident, but then you throw in the Fed taking action, tapering bond buys. (laughs) The Fed could raise rates three times this year. I want to know how concerned you are about the Fed possibly tightening us into a recession. Well, I'm not. Um, You know, this is a Fed. This isn't 2015. This is a Fed that's going to be raising rates with inflation uh, elevated and with the job market quite tight. So the market is not going to react to tightening the way it did in 2015, which was to say a flattening of the a significant flattening of the yield curve, a strengthening dollar. That to me is not the cards. The Fed is doing what I believe is appropriate in what is a very strong economy. Now, if the Federal Reserve makes a move and the market responds in a way that they didn't suspect, again, meaningful flattening of the yield curve, stronger dollar, then the Federal Reserve would back off, much like they did at the end of of 2018. So you're right, when thinking about a recession, what are the telltale signs? High and rising inflation, flattening yield curve, credit spreads blowing out, stronger dollar. What do we have right now? High and rising inflation. It's a unique moment in time that's causing it. We think it moderates. Yield curves relatively steep. Credit spreads are behaving very well. The dollar's been range bound. None of that points to a recession in my mind. Let's go to bonds for a minute because the 10-year yield, it's important since it influences lending rates for mortgages and many other businesses and consumer loans. How high do you see the 10-year Treasury note rising and how does that change your investing strategy? I mean, what does well in a rising rate environment? Well, let's remember rates started um, at 182 before any of us heard of COVID. 
Um, they fell to 135 last year or so amid expectations of slowing economic activity. Now we're seeing what I would categorize as a normalization in rates back to a, a more reasonable level, given that this is an economy that in real terms over time could probably sustain 2% growth. So to have 135 is, is seems like an overbought environment. So rates are moving up amid, in my opinion, good signs, been a good economic backdrop. Now, in a rising rate environment, if you think rates are going to rise meaningfully and on a sustained basis, then you want to be very cyclical in your portfolio, very value oriented in your portfolio. If you're like me and you believe that this is a rate environment where we're normalizing the 10 year, then you have a period in here where things like financials and energy can do well. But ultimately, I suspect we get back to a more sustainable level which takes us back to favoring uh, what I believe would be the more structural growth stories in the market. Very quickly to politics, do you see policy impacting uh, what we see in the market? First build back better, and now we're hearing reports from the Washington Post that there could be a new stimulus, a new round of relief targeting businesses. Is this something the market is counting on? Well, not yet. And so the the Build Back Better, I I never thought that was a significant market mover because that was money that was going to be spent over a decade and was likely to be paid for. If you get additional fiscal support here, then obviously that removes what had been a potential headwind to growth and could be another accelerator. So we've been capturing what we viewed as a slowdown in economic activity. That's when rates fell. That's when growth stocks did very well. What we're looking for now is signs that is this an economy that is going to start to pick up again? move back into a more expansionary environment. If that's the case, then, you know, we want to be very cyclical in our portfolios and expect rates to, to move higher, not meaningfully higher, but, but rates to move higher. Okay. Thank you so much, Brian Levitt, uh, the global market strategist at Invesco. Great having you on the show today. Thank you. My pleasure. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stocks are up and running this Wednesday, and it's a mostly lower open for the major averages. Value stocks look to be holding up well, but a second day of weakness for tech. Little market reaction today to a strong private sector employment report. ADP saying U.S. employers added more than 800,000 jobs last month. That's almost double the expectations. The numbers suggest that Friday's all-encompassing U.S. jobs report may also come in strong. As you heard earlier in the show, the buzz around electric vehicles is only getting louder in 2022. Chrysler and Sony have just announced new EV plans. Ford is ramping up its e-truck production and Tesla charged into the year on the back of record sales. But it's not just about the big brands. Startup Udelve has unveiled a self-driving electric delivery vehicle. There it is. It says the transporter will be on the roads by 2023. Joining me now is Danielle Laurie, the CEO of Udelve. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for having me. So let's talk uh, about sort of some uh, details about the transporter. How does this thing work? There's no steering wheel. There are no brake pads and there's there's there are no people in it to drive it. It seems there's no room for anyone anyway. Absolutely. Um, we are uh, reinventing delivery and revolutionizing automotive reinventing delivery by creating the first combination of hardware and software to automate the multi-stub delivery route and, and revolutionizing automotive by creating the world's first vehicle without a cabin. 
with and without occupants capable of driving at highway speeds. So the, the transporter is trailblazing the transporting transportation industry, and it, it works with a comprehensive and redundant suite of sensors, a powerful computer, high resolution maps, and perception and planning algorithms. The, the entire system is, is a redundant system to ensure safety of the vehicle, its surroundings, and the other road agents. And so let's say something, so, okay, so it's a delivery vehicle, so then walk me through how much stuff this thing can carry and how, just how the delivery process works. Yes, the, the, uh, this vehicle is the largest vehicle of its kind to date for the last and middle mile uh, multi-stop uh, delivery route. Uh, it can carry up to 2,000 pounds of cargo with uh, what we call the U-Pod, which is the, the automated container uh, on, on the flatbed of the vehicle, and 5,000 pounds of cargo without. So this vehicle is capable of making up to 80 stubs per run, um, and uh, there's sensors in its cargo space that allow for logic control of all the delivery tasks. All right, so who is signing up? to buy the transporter? Who is your typical client? And what does one transporter cost? Uh, there are essentially three types of clients. Uh, the first type of client is uh, what we call the FMCs, the fleet management companies. They essentially are the equivalent of Hertz or Avis, but for commercial fleets. They purchase uh, vehicles in bulk and lease them back to large or small fleet operators. The second uh, type of client are all the courier companies or the logistics companies, the carriers, et cetera, such as FedEx, OnTrack, LaserShip, et cetera. And the third type of client are the large and small uh, fleet operators. When are we going to see these things all over the place? We are going to be um, starting with the first uh, pilot units towards the end of this year, 2022, and then the start of production at the end of 2023 and wrapping up from there. How competitive is this environment? Who are some of the competitors that come to mind? You know, the, the environment has not been too competitive so far for a historical reason, which is that most of the industry in the autonomous vehicle space uh, has been historically focused on robotaxis. Uh, passenger vehicles, and they sort of left um, delivery on, on the side uh, as they were really focused on on, the, on, on carrying passengers. Um, so as a result, uh, we do not have uh, competition at this point, uh, and, and namely not comp competition directly on uh, the multi-stop uh, delivery route. Do you find that there are challenges with the transporter, with city driving, like in places like New York City, Chicago, and San Francisco, as opposed to, let's say, Arizona or Florida? Here yes, in the United of course, States. those environments. Yeah, no, those those environments are much, much harder to tackle. And uh, the good thing about delivery vehicles is that it can operate in less dense environments, such as suburban areas, uh, as you were mentioning, in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and some of those places, which are easier to handle. And I think, I think that as 
um, delivery or autonomous vehicles in general um, tackle those areas first, uh, they can gradually upgrade to more complex uh, scenes such as uh, New York City or or, um, or San Francisco. And as a matter of fact, um, I think that delivery vehicles are going to be the first large-scale application of autonomous vehicles in general. It's going to make the public uh, understand what uh, autonomous uh, vehicles are, and it will pave the way to the expansion of autonomous vehicles in general. Yeah, and as we see more autonomous vehicles on the road, um, you know, we're getting safety advocates coming out and saying with as, as we have this shared space, um, some are saying, you know, these companies like your, not yours specifically, but autonomous vehicle companies are using the public streets like a lab for self-driving experiments. I'm curious what the regulatory environment is for autonomous vehicles and what your thoughts are about more transparency about crash data. I, I think that the industry in general is remarkably cautious about uh, being safe, operating in a safe environment and taking care of the public in general. Um, I think that uh, we all have a very um, um, a, 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 a very um, high level of, uh, of uh, integrity uh, as far as that's concerned and are very, very careful about uh, not uh, hurting people. In, in, uh, over time, uh, autonomous vehicles uh, the premise here is that it's going to make our roads much, much safer and uh, improve uh, uh, the uh, or, or lower the number of uh, incidents on the road by uh, probably a, a, a two orders of magnitude. Um, and uh, and I think that the regulators understand that uh, we are um, working towards, uh, you know, getting favorable legislation in, uh, in the United States as well in other places in the world. Uh, you do have states uh, in the United States that are uh, have different legislations with, with in that respect. Uh, some are more uh, so, sort of liberal in, in, in that respect, such as some southern states like Arizona and Texas. Uh, some others are have a more regulatory environment like California, but it's it's getting, it's getting there. And in the, in the rest of the world, Germany is the first country in the world that has adopted a nationwide L, what we call L4, level four autonomy legislation. Okay. All right, Daniel Lowry, CEO of UDELV. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Allison. And we're staying with the future of tech next on First Move. And we'll meet the man behind the company that wants to let you walk out of the grocery store by skipping the line entirely. Welcome back from the promise of the perfect bath to a cinema-style experience at home. The Consumer Electronics Show kicks off in Las Vegas today, offering a front-row view of the technology of the future. Samsung is unveiling its newest TVs, saying they deliver lifelike picture quality and immersive sound. LG wants to bring the movie theater to you with its new media chair, incorporating a curved screen and cinematic sound. And when the film is over, you could fill up the bathtub with a simple voice command using Kohler's Perfect Fill technology. That sounds glorious. <laughs> Another company aiming to be at the forefront of tomorrow's tech is called Walkout. It created an automatic payment system that lets you walk straight out of the grocery store without stopping at the cash register. Walkout's CEO and co-founder Asaf Gadalia joins us now. Hi there, great to have you on the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to join. 
All right, so talk us through how does the walkout system work? Well, Walkout um, is a developer of an autonomous um, end-to-end frictionless shopping solution. We allow shoppers to go into the grocery store, grab whatever item they want, and when they're done, simply walk out of the store. We eliminate the need to scan any items and go through the checkout lines. And we do that using um, cameras mounted on top of the normal shopping cart and highly accurate computer vision that registered everything inserted into the cart or removed. Okay, so it's a car, it's a it's something that is put onto a shopping cart and with with high tech everything to see if anything's going on, anything funny's going on, but the reality is thieves always find a way around a system. How secure is your system truly? So the system is above 99% accuracy. So everything you toss in the cart is captured. You can grab a small bubble gum off the shelf, toss it inside, and it's captured. And you'll see it presented on a large touch screen that uh, um, walks you through your shopping journey and shows you everything you've bought. Um, and of course, communicates with you for promotions and suggestions as well. Um, but it's, it's, you know, thieves are there and they'll always be there. And we're not here to stop thieves. We're here to improve the shopping experience. And also improving the shopping experience, there's, there's a health benefit to this as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> imagine that you walk in the store, you grab our cart, and you log in with your profile, and we can customize the shopping journey for your needs. So if you're allergic to anything, um, if you're on a specific diet, uh, we can really help you uh, maintain a healthy shopping journey um, according to your preferences. Who are, your, who are some of your biggest buyers? Who has purchased this um, device? And what is the cost of the walkout system that is retrofitted onto these carts? So our customers are the major retailers. We're targeting the largest grocery retailers in the world. Um, we're going into several major retailers these days in Europe, um, in Israel, and also in the U.S. We're deploying, for example, one of the largest Israeli retailers called um, Mshuk, uh, which will deploy the entire chain in the next couple of years. Your company recently completed a $2 million funding round. I'm curious where you see opportunity for growth. Additionally, what about expansion plans here in the United States? Yeah, so there are a lot of opportunities for growth. You know, the grocery industry is the largest retail segment in the world. So there is an endless um, way to grow. And we are also growing in the U.S. We have first partners there and we plan to grow um, in 2022. I'm curious how customers are receiving this device. Is it difficult to work um, when you initially see it? So, so customers love it. We're doing focus groups across the world and across all um, ages. Um, and people really um, love it because it's very not intimidating. Just imagine a normal shopping cart, which is what we use, but it has a couple of cameras which are barely noticeable and a screen. So even if you ignore the system and you just, you know, you just want to shop, 
everything you put in the cart um, is registered and presented on the screen and you get promotions and suggestions so uh, you get more benefit as you shop and when you're done um, you can pay with any normal payment stand in a self-checkout or even in a man checkout and we still save all the time that was usually spent on um, scanning all the items. So people react very well to the system. So we are seeing more and more contactless shopping experiences with the advent of the pandemic. The most recognizable till now has been Amazon with its Go stores. What does Walkout do differently from Amazon? So Amazon Go um, is a very cool concept. Um, It's very expensive though. Okay, and, and, and Amazon Go stores that you'll see, they're usually smaller convenience stores. And at Walkout, we target the larger format, the supermarkets. We want to bring the same level of, um, of, of frictionless journey to the larger store formats where you go and you fill your cart. And that's where we're focusing. Um, and also Amazon serves um, Amazon because they have their own brands and we're serving Amazon's competitors. Our customers are Amazon's competitors. Okay, Asaf Gedalia with uh, Walkout. Um, great talking with you, and I can't wait to see this at my local grocery store at some point. Thanks. You'll, you'll, you'll do that soon enough. Thank you. <laughs> More first move after the break. Welcome back. I'm Allison Kosick. Let's get one last look at the markets and checking out the action on Wall Street. It looks like U.S. stocks, oh, they're mostly lower in the early going this Wednesday. Some early session weakness for tech, but energy stocks, they seem to be pushing higher along with healthcare and financials. The Dow has been popping in and out of record territory in the early action, too. We will keep our eye on all of it. Throughout the pandemic, some countries have pursued what they call a zero-COVID strategy. Mainland China and Hong Kong are committed to keeping their lines on this chart from spiking. Hong Kong is set to tighten its vaccine requirements even further. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says from February 24th, only people who are vaccinated can enter venues such as museums, libraries, and schools. This is on top of strict rules on visitors entering Hong Kong. So what kind of toll are all these restrictions taking? Will Ripley looks at the impact of long-term travel quarantines. In zero COVID Hong Kong, pandemic protocols have paralyzed this once busy travel hub. The arrival process that used to take minutes now drags on for hours. Mandatory testing at the airport, waiting hours for the results. The lucky ones test negative and spend up to 21 days in self-paid hotel quarantine. Daryl Chan is not one of the lucky ones. I've had both of my jabs. I've been boosted. I, I no, didn't think, didn't ever think that I would be a, you know, actually test positive on arrival. 13 hours after landing in Hong Kong, Chan was in an ambulance. His luggage left at the airport. He tested positive for the Omicron variant. Even without symptoms, his minimum hospital stay is nearly a month. Do you worry about your mental health as these days turn into weeks? Yeah, absolutely, because I've never been in a situation like this before. In general, there is increased sense of um, isolation, anxiety, and in some severe cases, even post-traumatic stress. 
Hong Kong psychiatrist Dr. Elizabeth Wong says longer quarantines can be more traumatic. And then, then we have a lot of changes between the seven days and the 14 days and the 21 days. And that was when people reported more stress, especially with a longer period of quarantine. Daryl's day begins with a wake up jingle. He takes his own vitals. Calls and messages with friends and family help pass the time. Social media has really helped actually. <clears throat> you know, definitely makes you feel less alone. One of his greatest struggles, sharing a room and a bathroom with two strangers. But I think what has definitely impacted me there <laughs> so far is the feeling of just, you know, not having the freedom and regressing into almost feeling like you're back at school, you know, with um, controlled wake up and bedtimes, not being able to control what you can eat. Hospital meals often consist of mystery meat. The bigger mystery, Chan's release date. He's supposed to start a new job, a new life in Hong Kong. What's the worst part of this? I think the worst part is not knowing when I'll be able to get out. For now, all he can do is wait. From his hospital bed, freedom feels like a lifetime away. Will Ripley, CNN, Hong Kong. The most advanced telescope in history got some new sunscreen on Tuesday. The James Webb Telescope is deploying its tennis court-sized sun shields. There's no video camera on board to show us that happening, but here's what a test run on Earth looks like. Eventually, five layers of these reflective sheets will protect the telescope from solar heat and light. That's crucial because unlike Hubble, which orbits Earth, the James Webb will orbit the sun. And that's it for the show. I'm Allison Kosick. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Kosick. Thanks for joining us. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.